Well, morning, guys. Glad y'all are here. Uh, For those of you that uh, don't know me, uh, my name is Nathaniel Brown. Everyone calls me Fan for short. And uh, sometimes I get asked, uh, how did did you get Fan? And uh, I have an older brother named Patrick, and my parents didn't want Nat and Pat. So they started calling me Fan when I was little, and I haven't been able to get away from it. And so uh, when when my wife and I were dating, and I hadn't met her parents at all, I've heard the story that they thought that my wife was dating a Vietnamese guy, you know, because, you know, he's this Than guy. Uh, and I, I've only met one other Nathaniel that went by Than. It was when I was in seminary in Denver. And uh, this is an absolute true story. So my last name is Brown, and his last name was Green. And so, so we were, it was Than Brown and Than Green in, in the same class together. So we like to mess with people. So I, I am one of the pastors here. I... I, I'm actually Randy's boss, if you can imagine that. So pray for grace and mercy upon me. Uh, no, he's, he's, a, he's an awesome guy to work with. Pretty, pretty easy, laid back to work with. So uh, This morning, we're diving into how we got the Bible. And uh, I, I've been praying this week, you know, this whole concept of the Man Academy. You know, I know uh, first time around, we talked about identity, and then jumping in right now into the Word. And, and I was, I was kind of asking the Lord, it's like, why, of all the topics that we could dive into, Man Academy, trying to get you guys as men to step into all that the Lord has for you, why are we starting with the Bible? And, and you know, there's, a, there's a, a thousand different topics that I feel like men need to get. Why, why, are, we, why are we starting in that place? And I, I felt really clearly from the Lord that and this is, this is something that you guys, as leaders, as men uh, that are involved and strategic in uh, the men's ministry of Beltway, this is something that you guys have to get, foundational, and then it's a value that you have to pass on to those that are around you. And the, the heart of this whole thing is to encounter the presence of God more fully, more deeply, to, to be stirred in our heart and our spirit for him. And the primary way that we do that is through the word. And I will tell you, I, I've seen it uh, time and time again, that the, the mark of a true leader in the kingdom is, is somebody that, that they, they've kind of gone over the precipice, if you will, when it comes to the word. I, I, can, I can have a conversation with a guy, and I've had it a, a gajillion times. You know, somebody you know, will come in, and I'm visiting with them you know, about their relationship with the Lord, maybe about their struggles, and, and somewhere in the conversation, we'll, we'll start talking about how they engage the presence of the Lord. And, and pretty quick, I'll get a sense of, are they, are they on this side, or are they on this side when it comes to the Word? You know, on this side are guys that, that kind of, they, they know that the word's important, and they value it. You know, they, they have one. They bring it to church. Uh, you know, when, when something's really significant happening, they may go to the word. Uh, but by and large, it, it's, not a, it's not really something that has a significant place in their life. And then on this side are guys that they've gone off the precipice. And, and there's, there's a shift that happens where the word becomes a critical piece of their day-in-and-day-out world. And, and, it's, and it's not because, you know, you know we're, we're worshiping the, the 
the book itself and the words in, in, in the book, it's because they figured out that through this, we can encounter the presence of the Lord more fully. And there's a marked difference between a man that has is, that is given himself over to the word versus a man that has it. And, and that's the whole reason why we're doing this deal this morning. That's why I'm here, is I want to stir in you a desire and a hunger and a love for God's word. And, and to help you go off the precipice, you know, into that place where the word of God has a, a consistent presence in your life, where you, it, it, it's, it's something that you love and cherish, you go to day in and day out, uh, and, and through the word, you're encountering the presence of the Lord. Does that make sense? The, the, the goal is not just the word. The word is a means to a person, and that person is Jesus. And so, you know, if, if you are in a place where you might be struggling, you know, wondering, you know, Lord, where are you? What, what are you doing? Let's talk about how you're engaging the Word because I, I, I have found in my own life that when I am in the Word and the Lord begins to speak, He begins to stir, He begins to, to do things in my own heart and life that, that wouldn't be there if I wasn't in the Word. Uh, prime example, this week, the uh, Lord, Lord's had me in Ephesians uh, all this week. And... Uh, uh, if, you're, if you're in the service next, this, this is a little, little taster, because I, I get to moderate the service next, the next service at 1045, and so I'm going to share a little bit on this. But, man, the Lord, I, I've read Ephesians. I mean, you talk about, you know, when you become a new believer, you read Ephesians, you know, it's kind of one of those starter books that you point people to. You know, so I've read Ephesians a lot. And, uh, and you know, for whatever reason, the Lord had me back there this week, and, and reading chapter 1, and, and this whole... You know, there, there's 11 verses, verse 3 to verse 14. And it's all on the spiritual blessings that we find in Jesus. And, and I'm telling you, uh, I, I, I tried to ask the Lord. I was like, Lord, will you, sh- will you show me what you want me to hear from this? I, I, I sense that you're, you're having me camp out in these 11 verses. What are you wanting to say? And, and he pretty clearly is like, do you know how blessed you are, fam? Do you, do you know? I mean, this, this whole passage is about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Do you know, Than, deep inside of you, how blessed you are? You know? And so, all throughout the week, I really felt the leading of the Lord to, to list out the things that I am blessed in, that the Lord has blessed me in. And, and he lists some in this passage. He talks about redemption through the blood of Jesus. He talks about uh, forgiveness of sins. He, he talks about you know, how we've been given the Holy Spirit as a, as a promise, as a seal of our inheritance. Um, but, but what I, I noticed in this passage, and I, I hadn't ever really thought about this, but two different times uh, he says uh, that he chose us in him is one place. And then another place it says, in him we were also chosen. And so two different times in 11 verses, Paul was, was strategic in talking about being chosen. And then I, I, when, I, when I, that light bulb kind of went off for me, uh, it, was, it was like, that's it right there. That's, that's what the Lord's trying to get in me this week, is that I am chosen. I am wanted. I'm desired. Uh, I am I'm loved lavishly. You know, you flip over to chapter 3, and, it, and, and you know, there's that passage that talks about how wide and how deep, how long uh, is the love of Christ. You know? Uh, and, and, and so, man, I'm telling you, 
those things were speaking directly to the issues of my heart and my life. And, and there was something that got stirred in me, a, a, a passion for the Lord. Um, and, and, you know, from, the, from these 11 verses, the, the response, he, he says it three different times, praise be to God. Praise to the glory of, of God, to, to the praise of his glory. He says it three different times. That, that's the response. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm walking in the fullness of the blessings that God's given me, if, I, if I'm aware of that, if I'm digesting that, then, then the response is praise. And I'm, I'm just telling you, this is an example from my own heart and life. Of, uh, the Lord had me in 11 verses this week, and it, it did something in me. And I, I, that's what I want the Word to do for you, uh, to stir something in you, to, to, to create a sense of closeness, of nearness uh, to the Lord, to give you a sense that you are hearing from Him. And so, that's what, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, I, my, my job is to lay a little bit of a foundation of how we got the Bible. And then next week, my understanding is we're going to go into further detail about how to study and engage the Word. Uh, but today, I just want to lay the foundation of how did we get this book and where did it come from? So, uh, if you have your, that little handout, you can kind of follow along with me a little bit. I'm going I'm to hit some of the key things in here. Uh, we're going to go for a little bit, and then uh, I'm going to give you some questions to talk about around your tables here in just a bit. Uh, but, just to lay the foundation, and, and some of this is just knowledge for knowledge's sake, because you need to know some of these basics. Uh, so, this book is made up of 66 books. Uh, 39 of them are Old Testament. 27 are New Testament. Okay, it's written uh, over a period of about 1,500 years. That's a long time. Uh, Written by about 40 authors, uh, give or take one or two, depending on which scholar you look at and different opinions, but pretty close to 40. Uh, and so uh, it's, got a, it's got a lot of history to it. A lot, uh, 1,500 years is a long, I mean, you think about this, the, how old our country is, you know, short, 1,500 years. And remarkably, the consistency from page one to the very end uh, and the, the story that God tells of fall, redemption, uh, the work of Jesus, uh, it's pretty powerful how it all works together. Okay? The Old Testament is broken up into three parts. Uh, we call them the law, uh, the prophets, and the writings. Okay? The, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And... Uh, uh, most you know, scholars, Jewish scholars, biblical scholars, they call this the Tanakh. Uh, and, and the Tanakh is basically an acronym for those three sections. And so, uh, so you have the law, the prophets, and the writings. Okay? Now, how, how did we get those 39 books? Well, I mean, they were written over a long period of time. Uh, how, I can't tell you exactly how you know, they were all decided upon and how they, how they got into the Old Testament. Uh, what we lean on is really Jewish tradition uh, when, it, when it's all said and done. Uh, by, uh, by about 200 B.C. or so, it, these books were pretty much solidified by the Jewish community. Uh, there, there's, a, there's another book called the Talmud 
it's, it's, a, uh, it's a commentary that the Jewish people wrote over a long period of time. It's a commentary on the Old Testament. And, and we can look back on the Talmud. It, it, it dates all the way back to like four, 450 B.C. Uh, and and you know, th- this commentary says that these books that we have in the Old Testament were the authoritative word of God. And so uh, we lean on the Jewish tradition that these books are indeed the word of God. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then there were, there were some councils and things like that that later confirmed that these were indeed, uh, you know, th- these, are, these are what the Jewish people consider the word of God. Okay, and uh, and so we we trust that. Now the cool thing is is uh, as time went on, uh, you get into like the ninth, tenth century after Jesus. Uh, there there was these guys called the the, the Masoretes, uh, and and they they were scribes that would copy the Old Testament, and they were so meticulous in copying the Old Testament that they knew exactly how many verses there were uh, total in the Old Testament. They could, they could pinpoint exactly what the middle verse was and all that. They could pinpoint down to the, the precise middle word of the Old Testament, even down to the precise middle letter of the Old Testament. So they had this whole little system. So if they, you know, if they were going along and, and you know, transcribing the, the Old Testament, you know, they had these markers. If they got to, to the middle and it wasn't the right verse and the right word and the right letter... They're like, well, we missed up. You know, throw it, throw it out and start over. You know? so, so we can have a confidence that the Old Testament that we have is the Old Testament that the Jewish people have had for centuries and centuries. Uh, the, the Jewish people have been so meticulous in making sure that, that the Old Testament is accurate to what it originally was. Okay? Uh, now, when it comes to the New Testament, New Testament... Uh, is literally made up of thousands and thousands of manuscripts, okay? And so uh, we have, uh, you know, in your notes, it talks about, we have 5,800 partial or complete Greek manuscripts. Uh, We have close to 10,000 Latin manuscripts, around 9,300 manuscripts of other languages like Syriac and Slavic and Gothic and Ethiopic and Coptic and Armenian yeah, all those, those are hard words to say. Uh, so all that to say, we have a lot of manuscripts of the New Testament. You know, some of them are little pieces. Some of them are full-length New Testaments. And here's the remarkable bit of it, is that when you, you look at all those different manuscripts, all those different languages, the accuracy of all those manuscripts is like 97%, you know, give or take one or two. Uh, and and the, the differences... You know, that little 3%, 4% uh, are these and ands, and, you know, there's nothing theologically significant that's different in all those manuscripts. So, in other words, across different languages, across different uh, time spans, all these different manuscripts, they're consistent with one another. So we know that the New Testament is the accurate New Testament that, that uh, the New Testament church had back in the day. So... All, I say all that just to try to give you a confidence that, that you know, this book that you're reading is, is an accurate book. It's a reliable book. It's a trustworthy book. You know, when, uh, you, know, when you read in the New Testament about the, the scriptures and the writings, 
you know, what you're reading is the same thing that they would have been reading, I, you know, obviously translated in English. Uh, and so uh, it, it's, it's trustworthy, it's reliable, it's consistent with what we believe were the original writings, okay? Now sometimes in this conversation, uh, uh, there's the question of, well, you know, we've got an English translation and there's all kinds of translations. What, what's the best translation? What's the worst translation? You know, what, what should I have? Um, here at Beltway, we obviously, we use the ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, which is a good version. Um, I personally uh, like the NIV. Um, and and there's, there's a number of other really good, uh, you know, if you were to put all the translations on a spectrum, you know, on one end is uh, kind of the paraphrase. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the message. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's just trying to give you the general idea. You know, you move a little bit further in, into, the, into that spectrum, you might have the New Living Translation, which is also a paraphrase, but it's a little closer to the original Greek and Hebrew and, and uh, Aramaic text. Uh, you know, and you keep moving down, on the far end is like a real wooden word-for-word -word translation. Uh, that might be uh, uh, something like um, uh, the New American Standard. Is, is pretty much word for word. Uh, you know, somewhere in there, right, right in this area, is where the ESV NIV falls. And we consider them thought for thought, uh, or phrase for phrase for phrase, which means they're trying to capture the meaning of the language as best as possible and communicate that to you, trying to stay as close to the original text as possible. So they're not, they're not word for word, because if you translate Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic word for word, it's not going to make any sense to you. So they're trying to capture the thought versus the exact word for word. So that's why we recommend that. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me and all that? So if, you, if you're living in, you know, and you're spending all your time in Jesus with the message and the new living, I might encourage you, you probably need to be in the ESV or NIV. Um, the Holman Bible is really good. There, there's some others that are, that are all in that same family. It's kind of that thought for thought. Um, that's what I would recommend. So uh, uh, that's for free. That's Stan Brown's. Uh, opinion and all that. All right. Well, so let's talk about the, uh, the New Testament a little bit more. All right. How did we get the 27 books of the New Testament? Because uh, there were lots of things that were written in that New Testament time. And, uh, and so how did, how did we land on these 27 books? Well, there, there was kind of three primary criteria that the early church used. Um, one is what we call uh, apostolicity. Try to say that five times real fast. Apostolicity, uh, which basically means it came from the apostolic age, the, the first century uh, time period, and was closely associated with the apostles or somebody close to uh, Jesus. Okay, So uh, it had that association with an apostle. Uh, number two criteria is the orthodoxy. That means that the theology and the ethics in those books aligned and was coherent with the rest of the books in the New Testament, okay? And there's, there's diversity, yet they don't contradict each other. And then the last criteria is what we call Catholicity. And, and that means that these books prove to be useful to the church at large. Um, and, and they were widely accepted by the church at large. So that was the three criteria. It was, it was, it was a book closely associated with an apostle or somebody near to Jesus, um, it aligned theologically, ethically, and it was widely accepted by the church. Okay? So if a book didn't meet that three criteria, it was thrown out. And, and really the attitude was if it didn't meet, 
you know, it was like, it's either in or it's out. There wasn't a whole lot of middle ground. And they were looking for reasons to throw books out versus to keep books in. And so there was a pretty, pretty strong uh, um, allegiance to this criteria, if you will. And then by about 367, there was a guy named Athanasius. And Athanasius was a stud in the early church. Uh, and he, uh, he kind of ratified for us that the 27 books of the New Testament that we have today are indeed the authoritative word of God. They, they met all the criteria. It was kind of really the first official list of the 27 books of the New Testament. And so, and then there were some, some meetings and councils that happened in church history that officially kind of ratified what Athanasius uh, talked about. So, uh, so, all that to say, the Bible you have today in English is an accurate representation of the original Bible. Okay? It's trustworthy, it's reliable, uh, and so, but, but all that doesn't mean a hill of beans, okay? All that doesn't mean a hill of beans. I, I, that's just, I mean, you can talk academic jargon till the cows come home, you know, and all this stuff. And I, I mean, trust me, I, I, I've got a seminary degree. I, I've, I've forgotten more than I've learned, you know, in some of this stuff. Uh, it doesn't mean anything if your heart isn't submitted to the word. Does that make sense? Uh, so you can, you can know all about the, you know, the canonicity, you know, and the criteria by which we got, you know, reliable, trustworthy, all, all that stuff. It's all good stuff. And you need to have that as a foundation. But ultimately, it comes down to an issue of the heart. How do you view the word? Have you, have you gone off that precipice, you know, that we talked about at first, where you, you've given yourself to the word? Uh, not, not for the word's sake, but because... Through the word, we know God more. We know God better. And it's not just about knowing, knowing about him. I mean, you know, a lot of times I read a book just to kind of you know, have, have more tools in my tool belt, you know, especially if I read about leadership or something like that. You know, it, it gives me, it gives me helpful, helpful tips. The Bible is not a book of helpful tips. It's, it's a book that leads us to the God of the universe. You know, and it's, it's why you know, Hebrews 4 talks about the word is living and active. It's because when we engage it with a heart of submission, if we engage it with a desire to encounter the Lord, uh, it, it works in us and it works through us and it brings us to the presence of the Lord. Uh, and, and, and we begin to be transformed by the power of the word in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And so how, how this works is we read with the help of the Holy Spirit, okay? If you just try to read without the Holy Spirit involved in the process, then it, you're just reading. And, and, and there could be some benefit to that. You know? But it's the Holy Spirit, as you read, that illuminates, shows you things, reveals the heart and nature of God and who we are in light of God. And it's, it's, it's why when I read Ephesians this week, you know, things were jumping out. Things were getting stirred in me related to where I'm at and what I'm going through. That, that wasn't just me reading the book. That, that was the Holy Spirit going, hey, this is for you. You need to get this in your heart, Van Brown. And so that, that's what I want to call you guys to and challenge you to is, man, don't just know about the Bible. You know, don't just... Kind of say, hey, it's a good book. We need, we need more of it. 
there is, there's a place I want to move you to, to where you're walking in, in a heart of surrender and, and a heart of submission to what the Lord wants to show you in the Word. Here, here's, here's the tangible reality in all this. I was reading about this this week. Uh, do you know, uh, do men or women read more? What would you say? Women. Uh, the national average uh, among guys that have a high school or college level uh, education, uh, the national average is about nine books a year. Women read about 14 books a year. Uh, when you look at the church and men in the church, that number drops dramatically. It's pretty interesting. So, uh, so men in the church, on average, read less than four books a year. That, that equates to about two to three hours a week that a man reads. Okay? So on a fundamental level, we have a reading problem. Hey, uh, that's being honest. Um, if, if we are to be leaders in the church, leaders of men, then there's a call just to read more. Uh, but there's a deeper level than just reading that I'm trying to call you guys to. There, there's a call to engage God's word with a heart of submission. Uh, and uh, I, I, I read an article this week about CEOs and that uh, almost all CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are avid readers. Uh, and where the national average is, is nine books, uh, 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 the average for a CEO is in the 40 range uh, books a year. Uh, and you know what they're not reading? CEOs don't read books on leadership. They read other books. That's what the study said, uh, which I found interesting. Uh, but it, the correlation was that the more we read, uh, you know, they, they, were, they were suggesting that, that strong leaders are, are guys that read in general. Uh, but I would suggest in the kingdom of God, strong leaders are guys that read the word often and engage the word with a heart of submission, inviting the Holy Spirit to speak and move through the word. You guys with me? So that's the challenge. Is if, if, you, if you're recognizing in your own heart, man, I, I don't like to read. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll confess. You know, I have to concentrate to read. Uh, but when I do, it's good. It, it's a discipline that, that we have to grow in. Uh, just like working out. I mean, I, I'm telling you, there's nothing in me that goes, yay, get to go work out. You know, it's fun. You know, Charlie and I, you know, see each other occasionally at, at the forge. It used to be D1. And I'm telling you, there's not joy in my heart, you know, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get my heart rate up and exercise. But I know the discipline of it produces things in my life that, that I long for. Uh, and, and so... I, 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 I choose to engage in exercise for the long-term benefit. Re- reading and engaging the Word is the same way. So I'm calling you guys to a place of engagement. And next week we're going to talk about what does that engagement look like and the specifics of that. So here's what I want you to do around your table. The questions. Where are you at in all this? Where do you stand when it comes to the Bible? And how well do you engage it? Okay? So I'm going to give you all 
We'll give you all a few minutes to talk about that around your group. Where are you at? Let's just, let's just have some minutes of honesty, transparency. How well do you engage scripture? What does that look like for you? So ready, set, go.
All right, here's the next question for you guys. You, you can keep talking on the previous questions, but just to give you the next one. What hinders you from engaging the word? Or hinders men in general? So what, what are the biggest hindrances to engaging the word for you or for men? Race set, go.
Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City at IHOP. Yeah. And literally, it's um, a guy that has a really long hair that's really buff that was a former hockey player that now is a pastor. He described how he spent a whole year in Ephesians 1. Just the, just the yeah. one chapter. And I was like, Lord, good Lord. And then honestly, I literally was like, I can't do that. And then found myself literally throughout the whole year. Yeah. All right, next question, if you're ready, is do you trust the Bible? Do you trust it? Uh, and what questions do you have about the Bible? And can you be honest about those questions? So, do you trust the Bible? And what questions do you have about the Bible? Pray, set, go.
All right, take about one more minute, and we're going to come back together.
All right, let's let's come back together. All right. So let me let me ask this. What what questions do you have about the Bible? Any come up in y'all's conversation? Questions about the Bible? Or just questions about what we talked about today? I'm telling you. Yeah, and let's just be honest. Like some of it is is downright boring. I mean, how many lists of genealogies do you have to read? You know, come on, Lord. But obviously, there's reason and purpose to it, or God wouldn't have put it in the Bible. Yeah. You know? So the the challenge for us is, God, why did you put that in there? What are you What are you trying to show us in this? There's something. There's some reason. You know. The, the hard part for us is giving, a, giving it enough thought and time to investigate and to dig into that. Okay. Yes? One thing that, that changed me and everybody else is what David Queen talked about going to Israel. If you go there and you go travel to the little part of the week, you can see where that was written in the Old Testament. why those people did that because that's where they lived. You know, if you start to think about David and talking about the cave that he was in, you go over there to Engedi and you look around and you see that, that changes the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's hard until you can kind of experience some of that, but that's a big deal. It'll make, you know, the second time you go back, you, you know, if you can get a chance, you'll get more. That was a big deal for me is to change that. I think I think a lot of what we're talking about here is uh, so much of the Old Testament deals with the Old Covenant. You start reading the Old Covenant laws. And mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They, but they lay the foundation for the New Covenant. Yeah. And you can't understand the New Covenant unless you have some knowledge of an understanding of the Old Covenant. Mm-hmm. So it's good stuff. Any other questions? Do you guys feel like you trust the Bible? I have found that the people that want to discount what we believe in as evangelical Christians, the first place they start is by discounting the Bible. If they, if they, can, if they can somehow undermine someone's trust in the Bible, then the, the rest of it <coughs> fall, begins to fall apart. And so uh, that, that's, a, that's a critical piece. You, you have to have a confidence in your heart that the word is trustworthy and reliable, that it is God's word to us. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's a conviction you've got to have deep down. Because if, if you're, if you're kind of on the fence on that, then, then that's going to that's gonna hinder what God can accomplish in you through the word. So uh, there's, a, there's a commitment on some level to the word in, in the sense of it is God's word to us and that it is trustworthy. It is reliable. Okay? I, er, earlier, as you guys were talking, I, 
really just had a kind of a prompting of the Holy Spirit to share with you guys because I think it's it's a critical piece to this whole deal. Mm. Uh, I I cannot remember uh, growing up. Uh, I cannot remember ever waking up as a kid and coming out to the living room in my parents' house and not seeing my dad on his couch in the Word. That's a, that's a legacy and a heritage that my dad gave me. And, you know, he has a lot of faults. But, man, I'm telling you, that did something for me as a kid instilling in me a value of the word. And, and so, I, uh, man, I didn't plan to get emotional. But I'm telling you, all of you, uh, I, at least most of you that I know, are parents or, are, or have a place of influence in the lives of kids. And there is something significant about modeling to our kids and to those around us engaging the word. It's, it's one thing just to do it, you know, kind of get in the private place, in the closet, and you have your time with the Lord and time in the Word all by yourself, you know, in the wee hours before anyone gets up. But there is something significant about your family and about your wife and your kids seeing you engage the Word. It, it sets the tone. It sets the atmosphere. It is what spiritual leadership is. On, on, on a significant level. And so I, this is just for free. Uh, this, is, this is beyond the notes. But I want to challenge you to not only engage the Word with the Holy Spirit, but to do it in such a way that your family sees it. And, and it, it, will, it will begin to shape the atmosphere and the culture of your home uh, in ways that you can't think or imagine. Uh, and so... Uh, and I, my wife and I were just talking about this because, you know, she, she goes to the office. She has her spot. I have my chair in our bedroom. You know, and so when our son uh, gets up in the morning, you know, he knows that we're spending time with the Lord, but he doesn't see it. He doesn't, he doesn't hear it. He doesn't know exactly what we're doing. Uh, and so, you know, for us, we, we've been realizing man, we've, got, we've got to pull him into those worlds, you know, f- physically. You know, so that he can see how and what we're doing when we're engaging the presence of the Lord. You know, and part of that is, is the Word. Uh, that that's 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 a piece of what it means to disciple and to raise up the next generation. Uh, so uh, that's for free. All right, this is what I want you guys to do. This is gonna how we're gonna wrap up our time. Is I want us to pray around our tables that the Lord would stir in us a hunger and a desire for His Word. Uh, and you, you may be all-star, you know, you've got your reading plans lined up, you're, you're getting up at 3.30 in the morning to, you know, read, read the whole New Testament. I don't know. But all I know is that we need the Holy Spirit to deposit something in us that stirs our heart and our spirit for Him through His Word. Because I'm telling you, it's just like any other discipline. It gets, it gets dry. There, there are seasons where... It doesn't speak and minister to us as much as it might another season. So we need the Holy Spirit in us uh, to stir that in us. So uh, around your tables, kind of wrap up, and then we'll, we'll be done for the morning. Let's pray that, that the Lord would give us a hunger for, his, for him through his word. Mm-hmm.